0: Our New Testament text comes to us from the Gospel of John from the 10th chapter, verses 22 through 39. May God open up to us an understanding of this word. At the time of the festival of dedication in Jerusalem, it was Hanukkah and winter, Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews, excuse me, he uses Jews as the religious authorities. Not to be anti-Semitic, but those were the religious authorities, for John was a Jewish Christian, as were all of those in the Gospels. So he's talking about the Pharisees and Sadducees. So the religious authorities gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I have told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me, but you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Referring, of course, to the religious authorities. What my Father has given me is greater than all else and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. The religious authorities took up stones again to stone him, it's the second time. Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father, for which of these are you going to stone me? The Jews answered, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, though only a human being, are making yourself God. Jesus answered, is it not written in your law that God said, you are God's? If those to whom the word of God came were called gods, and the scripture cannot be annulled, can you say that the one whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world is blaspheming because I said I am God's son? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Then they tried to arrest him again and he escaped from their hands. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. So, who was he? Who is he? This is the question the New Testament, most of the New Testament, spends its time trying to answer. It's the question John jumps into immediately and spends most of his gospel trying to answer. It's the questions the disciples wrestled with every step of the way alongside Jesus until they finally discovered who he was after his death and at his resurrection. And if we are honest with ourselves, early in the darkness of the morning, we wrestle with the question, too. Who is he? Who is he for us? Last week, when we had six new young members join the class through confirmation, seventh and eighth graders, They were asked the questions of joining. And the question is, first, who is your Lord and Savior? And they all answered in mass, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. They had gone through confirmation to have some understanding of what that meant. But a part of me wanted to stand up before they answered it and said, stop, just stop for a minute, think about it. Do you you know what you're about to say? that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Before you answer sheepishly to that, I want you to know that in saying that, your whole life will be changed, although it may not feel like it now, that you will become a different person than you thought you would be, although you may not know that now, and that sooner or later, you will struggle with just that question in your own life who is Jesus Christ I wanted to tell them about Jacob who was on the lamb running from his brother scared going to sleep at the river Jabbok only to be pounced on by some stranger wrestling all the way till the early morning into a draw and the stranger of course was the spirit of God And at the the breaking of the dawn, Jacob wrestles them to a draw and says, I will not let you go until you tell me who you are. And the stranger says, nope, not getting my name. Instead, you're getting a new name. You were Jacob, you're now Israel. You walked in here fine, but you're not walking out fine because in this wrestling match and and you're embraced with me, you have been changed with a limp, you now know what pain is, it's Jacob's growing up, it's our growing up, when we wrestle with the question, who is Jesus? Obviously, John's gospel wrestles with it, and John himself came to see that Jesus was God's son, the Son of God. But John also understands that saying that and claiming that is such a profound mystery that the only way you can make sense of it really is through poetry and especially story and metaphor. John doesn't mind mixing those metaphors either. He says, Jesus is the true light that shines in the darkness and the darkness would not overcome it. The true light which enlightened everyone came into the world. John says, Jesus is the word of God made flesh. First part of John 1. And then with no embarrassment about mixing the metaphor, he says from that, Jesus is the lamb of God, referring to the Jewish Passover. And then he quotes Jesus too. He he has Jesus say in his gospel, the I am, ergo uh, me sayings, that God said to Moses at the burning bush, When Moses demanded from God, who was trying to send him back to Egypt, who are you and tell me your name. I'm not going anywhere until I get it. And what God finally gives him is, nope, what you get is a verb. I will be what I will be. My being is what you get. Yahweh comes out of that, but the Hebrew word is this guttural breath. Aha, aha. That's the word he gets. The Spirit of God. Jesus says, I am, just like God said, I am who I am in that encounter with Moses. Jesus says, I am in the same way. I am the Lamb of God. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the light. I am the light of the world. I am the truth and the life and the way. I am the true vine. And in the 10th chapter of John, Jesus says, I am the gate, the gatekeeper and the true shepherd the Good Shepherd. And John spends a whole chapter in his gospel dealing with just that metaphor of Jesus, the Good Shepherd. It's Hanukkah, that's the way John sets it up. It's Hanukkah, when they celebrate the rededication of the temple, when the light continued to burn by the oil in the darkness, which is what's happening in John's gospel, it's darkness, it's winter time. And Jesus confronted by the authorities ask him because they know that this will hang him. They ask him, are you the Messiah? Tell us. Don't mince words. And Jesus, because Jesus was genius, dodges their question and says to them, basically, I am who I am. Look at my works, look at my works. They testify to who I am, but you don't believe because you do not choose to belong to my sheep. They hear my voice. I know them and they follow my voice. And then he says, this is almost what gets him. He says, the Father and I are one. And what the religious authorities heard, and I can understand it, is that Jesus is claiming to be God which is complete blasphemy according to the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before you. We have one God. We are monotheist. one God. And Jews, Christians, and Muslims all claim to be monotheist. And what they heard Jesus saying was, I am also a God, but that's not what he said. That's what they heard him say. What Jesus was claiming was, That he was God's son and God was his father. A different relationship. And that he is so linked with God that he is one with God in unity. That God's will and his will are linked. That God's way and his way is linked. And when you look at me and my works, what you see is the presence of God. This is what God is like. I had lunch with a Muslim, really close Muslim friend of mine about seven years ago who was trying to help, trying to get me to help him understand the meaning of the Trinity because being a monotheist, for him it seemed like we were claiming three gods. (laughs) I tell you, I did the best I could and by the time I was through I was just as stumped as every other sermon I've ever preached on the meaning of the Trinity. He sat there in good grace and faith and smiled and said, well, I think I understand on some level, but I still don't quite get it. Jesus says to us, if you want to know who I am, look at what I've done. Look at my works. He heals, he feeds, he embraces He loves, he teaches, he shepherds, he suffers. He dies. And this is what God is, he says. This is what God is like. I've got to say here that, you know, this is where the shepherd analogy, the good shepherd of Jesus analogy breaks down for me. You see, when it comes to shepherding, laying down your life for the sheep is not a great strategy. They only become more lost, more at risk, wander off on their own. Wouldn't it have been better if Jesus had hung around and saved those people, all of those early Christians, save us from the wolves and the weather, the dangers as the 53rd Psalm says, we all like sheep have gone astray, each of us turned in our own way, like the little boy in the runaway bunny, we wander and get lost and all of us have done it on some level, I know. And apparently Jesus knows too. And what Jesus does in this story is he lets us go. He lets us wander. Even if it's into the valley of the shadow of death, he lets us go there. But he does not let us go forever there, for that is where he finds us, as the promise is. But why does he let us go? We had a picnic on top of a little hill overseeing a park when our three-year-old Megan was um, with us, and she, uh, she was there and still is here, but... She was running down the, down the hill and she got to the bottom of the hill and there's this long pasture in front of her and she just started running and she stopped after about 10 feet and looked back and said, uh, uh, hey, and uh, her mother and I said, let's, let's let her go, see how far she'll run. So she ran another 10 steps and stopped and waved, hey, and hey, We were, another 10 steps. She stops, she puts her hands on the hips, she turns around and says, aren't you ever going to tell me to come back? (laughs) She knew that there was a limit to how far she could run and feel safe. How good it would be if we had that limit too. Apparently Jesus lets us go. Which is why maybe Megan decided that she would own sheep dogs, one of whom she has now named Buzz, literally lives up to his name. Like a swarm of mosquitoes, he is always buzzing around her feet, or your feet, or my feet, or anybody else in the room because he genetically has been programmed to shepherd all the people back into the flock. He's the busiest dog I've ever seen. He drives me crazy. He has no respect for my personal bubble. (laughs) Why can't Jesus be more like that? Why can't He usher me and nose me and push me back into the flock when I go astray? But He doesn't, does He? Because I think, like every good parent, Jesus understands He has to let us go To grow up. And even if it means we make a lot of bad steps in it, he lets us grow up. Not to stay like sheep, but to become, and this is the key, to become like shepherds. That's what every good mother Raises a child for as she shepherds her children. Every good father as he shepherds his children. That's what God does with and for us in Jesus as Jesus shepherds us. He helps nurture and love us and hold us. But at some point he also leaves us and lets us go. And the going is to become like Jesus. For us to become shepherds too. If Jesus is the fullness of God, the oneness of God in unity, then Jesus also says to us, I am in you, and the Spirit is in you, and you too are in oneness with me. It's called the church. And the church is that place where we huddle together as a flock. And anybody that wants to be in the flock can be in the flock. Nobody is left out of our flock. Maybe your little tribes and, and, and clubs will leave some people out, but not our church. Our church is anybody is welcome to the table, church. And the Good Shepherd is calling us with God's word into unity as the community by giving himself up for our sakes to tell us that there are no links God will not go, even if it is a cross, to bring us back home. Friends, there are lots of wolves in the world. There's some wolves in the church, in this church, in every church. And we have to be careful what voices we listen to. You know how to tell the difference between a shepherd and a wolf? A shepherd can laugh. A shepherd can even laugh at himself, but a wolf can't, can't laugh at himself. A wolf only laughs at others. They have this thing called the correspondence dinner in Washington where all the uppity-ups and reporters and, 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 and politicians get together and they jibe each other and crack jokes about each other. And uh, before President Obama uh, was through with his office, his last one, uh, he did his normal, completely hilarious thing. But then, he, but then he went into a sad place of wolfdom. He began to shame Donald Trump, who was sitting at one of the tables, just shaming him to death. And, and Donald Trump didn't crack a smile, of course, because for Donald it's hard to laugh at himself. And so, I think from that point, that was the moment that Donald Trump resolved that he was going to be president. And what we ended up having in that time was one wolf laughing at the other, and the other wolf laughing back, watch this, I told you so. Two wolves back to back in their own way. That is so virtual in our world today. Listen to the language. Turn on your televisions. You're gonna get Rachel Maddow, another wolf, creating more partisanship and division, and Tucker Carlson, another huge wolf, doing the exact same thing for the sake of division and disunity and partisanship. Friends, I can say this. You can can try to stone me if you want. (laughs) But we cannot listen to the voice of partisanship in our world and claim to follow the voice of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus calls us to be shepherds and not sheep of all those other wolfy voices. Jesus says to Peter, who was completely disheartened after he after he denied Jesus three times before his crucifixion, he says to Peter on that little beach in chapter 21 when they were finally fishing after the resurrection and they see this man cooking a breakfast and Peter jumps off the boat and he can swim this time and he swims to shore and he finds Jesus standing there waiting for him cooking fish and he says to Peter, of all of them, he says to Peter, feed my sheep three times care for my sheep, feed my sheep, three times be a shepherd to my sheep, the three times each negating the three times that he had denied him. And you remember the rest of Peter's life. He ends up being crucified himself. Some say upside down. That's the voice of Christ calling us to do the same. I hope there is no crucifixion in it, But I can tell you this, the old life will die and the new life will be born again when we lay down our sheepishness and pick up the clothes of the good shepherd. But be careful. It's the only way to live. Amen.